Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros quick housekeeping. How are you guys? What's new? What's going on? This summer has been in freaking sane. Um, I just got done with two weeks of teaching a summer camp for kids. We did cosmetology. I mentioned it a little on social, but oh my gosh, I have so much more respect for teachers and specifically middle school teachers than I have ever had in my entire life. You guys are the real MVPs here. So humongous shout out to teachers. (laughs) You guys, seriously, my hat is off to you. I do not even know how I survived 10 days, let alone an entire school year. So I just had to send that out there. Um, So much respect for you guys. You are incredible. Thank you for doing the job that I cannot do. (laughs) And secondly, I wanted to say thank you to our new patrons. Um, Right now I'm in the middle of moving and packing, and so I'm not really able to get as much extra bonus content up on the Patreon right now. Um, So I wanted to let you guys know that, but always everything is on there uh, ad-free. So at least you're getting that every single month. Um, And once we are moved and settled, I will start working on a schedule that I can actually stick by. It has been very up and down around here. Um, And we're actually looking at a place tomorrow. So we should have some news. I'll keep you guys updated on the move process. And if you're interested, definitely be following along on social because uh, if this is the place, we'll be doing some, you know, tours and before and afters and things like that. So Abby is super, super excited. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know what's going on in our life behind the scenes a little bit. And then I wanted to say thank you to our new patrons this week. Thank you to Kaylee Siebel, girl, for real, Layla Green Touche, Emily Anderson, and Tara Legaski. You guys are so awesome. Thank you so much for your support. You guys have no idea. Um, I love that it's that it's growing and we are creating a really cool community. Um, all of you, please check your inboxes. I like to send everybody a little message to welcome you to the Patreon and say hi and open that communication. So um Be on the lookout for that if you are one of our patrons, and also I'm going to be scheduling some live hangouts and stuff on the the Patreon as well, again, as soon as we're moved. So stay tuned for that, and if you want to join the Patreon, we have $5 and $10 tiers, and really the only difference is the $10 tier has a little bit more community and social aspect. Um, But yeah, if you're interested, please head over to Patreon. The link is in the show notes and support us that way. It is really awesome. And thank you so much. And a quick content warning is coming up. But other than that, enjoy the show. A quick content warning. This episode deals with triggering topics, including mental health, narcissism, examples of manipulation, gaslighting, and high demand control. Please use discretion when listening. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today, we're talking mental health, and I have a guest. I'm very excited to talk about this. You guys know how much I love to talk about this. So um, I would like to welcome to the show, Anse Vanaga. It's so nice to have you. All the way, you're in Scotland right now. Yes, I am. That's amazing. But you're not from Scotland. Where are you from originally? I'm from this tiny country, Latvia. I'm from Riga, the capital city. So you might have 
probably seen some strange characters in TV shows from Latvia or maybe remember the family guy famous sneakers from Latvia, something like that. That's where my country pops up usually. So you're also a podcaster. You have a podcast called yep. Conversations with My Mind, the learning podcast, where you talk <laughs> about mental health uh, and those stigmas as well. So I'm really excited to talk about this today. Um, let's start with you actually were in an MLM. You you figured out that you were in an MLM. Let's talk about that because I've never heard of this MLM and it seems really dirty and nasty. Mm. Yeah, well, to be fair, like I I feel like such a naughty child um, kind of almost speaking badly about this company. So I think that's the first time saying that it might be an MLM, right? You feel bad if, for bad-mouthing them. Um, but yeah, I was watching actually Lula Rich and then like it hit my brain that, oh, wait, like everything sounds so familiar. <laughs> And, uh, and I realized maybe that thing that I did when I was uh, a teenager, almost basically like 18, 19, was an MLM. So I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, but my story is that I was a college student first year in, in my uni studying tourism management, really excited. And then these really cool other students come by and start like they offer a presentation. So you go into this presentation and you hear all about this brilliant opportunity to go to the United States of America, earn about two, $3,000 per month. And what you're going to need to do is sell these incredible, amazing books, like handbooks that will help kids in the US to, um, to get ahead in school because they cover all this curriculum that they have in the schools, but they show like history in a timeline, uh, different ways how to solve math problems, all these great things in these books. And then there's kids books and, um, and and kind of my fun with words for the younger ones and CDs for SATs, PSATs and whatnot. And I'm, I'm talking 2005, 2007 was kind of the time frame when I was communicating with this company. So um, it's, it's a while ago, but they still are ongoing, going strong. So yeah, so basically you go through this quite thorough recruitment process. You have to sign up, like you get a sheet where you sign up, you, you write a few other people's names, who else might be uh, really good for this program. And then you think you're being interviewed and recruited for this amazing uh, opportunity, which does sound amazing because the people are really enthusiastic. Like everyone's so motivated, so positive, so happy. And basically what you need to do when you sign up, you need to go sort your visas out so you can go in the summer holidays between your university studies like June through August um, you go to the US and then you're going to go to this company in Nashville Tennessee and then you're going to stay there for about a week go through this process called sales school where they're going to firm up all your your learning and you're going to practice how to be a really good sales rep and then um, they're going to send you out to a location where you're going to work. So what's really interesting in this process is one that you pay for everything. You pay for your flights, you pay for your hotels, you pay for a bus ticket actually from New York to Tennessee where we're taking a bus. Um, then you obviously pay to get to your location. And what's really interesting, you find out if you're a first year, if you do it for the first time, you only find out where you're going to be working at the very kind of end of the sales school. So there goes this like, you're going to Jacksonville, Florida, or you're going to Chicago, and Illinois, or, or something like that. You don't even know where you're going to end up. So I have no idea how my mom actually let me go. For her, it's probably like the States don't, don't know where you're going to be, still don't know if even if I know the location. So yeah, so we end up like getting our um, destination. So then you get there and then you work for... 12 weeks going door to door selling these um, these books. The um, success is going to be guaranteed if you work 
81 hour per week. So you basically start around 8 a.m. and you finish about 9.30 in the night. And then on Sundays, you have these get-togethers with your teams. And there's there's heaps of different things that I can add in the mix afterwards as we speak. But uh, but that's kind of the process. So for 12 weeks, you sell these books and you figure out your whole thing, um, where you're going to stay, what you're going to do. Even the accommodation at the time when I was joining, they were suggesting the best way how to find a cheap place to live rather than going through the adverts is go door to door and just ask if someone knows someone who knows um, someone who would have a spare room in their house that we could uh, potentially rent for a cheap amount of money. And then obviously like American moms are super nice and they're like, oh yeah, oh my God, poor kid. Like you don't have a place to stay, come live in my house. Like I honestly sometimes got more offers to live with people than buy my books because they were so expensive. But yeah, all this experience and then it's quite crazy and then when you finish the summer you obviously if you've been selling decently then you get offered to oh why don't you recruit your own team become a student manager and then come again and bring a team with you so that's where actually the the pyramid thing starts and then I realized only in time that oh actually (laughs) you're doing a good job you can come back Um, but some people who don't do a good job they still want to come back because they're so excited by this positive motivated community and yeah you really want to be with them because you're you're told that this is where like all the positive people are and like people outside they're so negative they're not problem solving like look at all the problems that we're solving all the challenges we go through and yeah there's there's cool kids that even in the sales can make like 20 30k dollars per summer which is awesome I kind of was that statistic average I did make my 2k but I pretty much spent all of that on my plane tickets hotels and petrol and whatnot so um yeah I was like oh my god I'm going to US I have all this experience I learned all these life skills amazing now when I'm looking back I'm actually but there were so many people who actually didn't make money and they were desperate and we didn't allow them to quit because winners don't quit and quitters don't win and yeah there's all sorts of things that come like as a dark side to this whole thing I got like in my door-to-door sales but like you you kind of working in the nice suburbs but you end up like on weird streets as well and I had like this moment where one dad was running after another dad with a gun where the the one kid had given like drugs to the other kid and they were trying to sort it out and someone else was like running at me like get out get out it's not a safe space so yeah there's the dark side as well of this whole thing um so (laughs) I could talk about like about this hours and hours but it's 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 an interesting MLM to be a part of (laughs) Because it's like, this is an MLM that's actually encouraging you to go door to door in not only neighborhoods uh-huh. you don't know, but like cities in a country that you don't even know. Yep. Wow. It's called Southwestern oh Advantage, by the way. I don't even think I said the name. Southwestern Advantage. I've, I've never heard of that MLM at all. I wonder how many people listening are like, oh my God, <laughs> just right now. I feel like sometimes you say the name and then people go, oh, I was a part of that too. That's how people learn that they were in MLMs that they didn't know they were in. Wow. So how long did you work for them? Just that one summer? Two summers. So I was um, I was thinking like after the first one, yeah, this is crazy. Like I don't think I'm going to do this again because I, I did have like actually emotional breakdowns in, in the middle of it. I had like the weirdest experiences like throughout the process. Working 13 hours per day is not like 13 and a half. I think hours per day was the number. Like it's it's not the the healthiest thing to do. But then you get home, you see like some of these cool kids winning these sizzler trips to Tenerife, and and the U.S. kids I think were going to Mexico for club med, and then um, 
you get this awards banquet where like everyone dresses up and and they get limos for you to arrive to this banquet and like you have these fun awards and cocktail parties and whatnot and then you realize like oh my god this life with these people is so much cooler than my my regular being a student having a maybe like $200 budget per month at the time um, kind of lifestyles. So you end up being lured in because everyone else around is so negative, right? Everyone else is so demotivated and the only fun and cool people are the ones who do this thing. Yeah, I can imagine how, wow. You said you were in school for tourism, but now you do mental health. So when did that shift? Well, I'm I'm actually like my day job is um, I work in project management in a bank. But my projects are linked to like capability, communications, culture. So I'm I'm in a quite interesting space in a bank. Like it's a bit further away from money, but still in the, in a massive institution. The mental health has kind of been like my own personal interest. I don't know since forever. I wanted to study psychology, but then somehow like went for tourism because it sounded more fun when I was young. But always have been really passionate and really interested about this topic, and then kind of started exploring myself eventually when I got the courage to challenge if my mental health is actually perfect and then slowly discovered I actually do have some signs of depression some signs of anxiety started coping with that myself realized that a lot of reactions in my life or or how I've processed things is not just because I'm emotional crazy person it's actually due to my mental health and the state that I can get into and there was such a long time where no one would speak about it especially back where I'm from it's still a country that doesn't speak too much about mental health so I was really afraid. And my personal first experience when I went to look for help, because I had these sleepless nights for about a month and a half, and I realized that this is this is not good anymore. Like I cannot function, I cannot go to work. And even then, I wasn't even speaking openly about it. I knew this one guy who I knew is seeing some sort of therapist. I wasn't sure like what he's seeing or who he's seeing, but I was like, oh, I'm, I'm asking for a friend there. Could you maybe give a number? And literally just like pretended I'm like helping a friend out, then went to this mental health specialist who turned out to be like working in a mental health hospital which kind of was like the deep end of mental health that I ended up in and I was like I actually did not need that at all so all of this experience of mine that I didn't know where to go who to ask I was afraid to ask it's something that I am that kind of has motivated me to speak up about it and actually show there's mental health is such a spectrum and uh, and we all have physical health and we all have mental health and we all should take care of both, not just the physical. So um, I think you just need it to speak about it. And that's how the podcast was born. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Mental health has always been a taboo subject in my family as well. We mm. just don't talk about it. We just ignore it. I always joke, you know, that it's our Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. And that's mental health. I remember seeing that movie and being like, okay, yeah, no, I get this. This is, this is my family. We don't talk about it. It affects everybody within the family unit as well. When we're not talking about that. And I know I personally have gone through a lot of mental health work in the last two years, being diagnosed with ADHD going, Oh, that's why I do that stuff. Okay. It's been wildly eye-opening. It's been cathartic, healing. Yeah. Oh, it's It's been beautiful. Is that the right word? I don't know. It's just yeah. been wonderful to be like, okay, why do I do this? Oh, this is a side effect of this. Okay. Oh, oh, here we go. 
and really unpacking all of that and understanding where those outbursts come from, where mm. the highs and the lows are, are centered and triggered by. And it's just been really transformative, I think, for me yeah. to understand it and be like, oh, my mental health, you know, and I've struggled with it my whole entire life. And it wasn't really until I was old enough to really sit down with myself and have that conversation with myself and say, you should probably look into this. Mm. And it's been life-changing. And that's a really good point that you're saying, like you had to grow up, you had to be like old enough and, and kind of wise enough to not look outwards, but start looking inwards. And like that takes certain age, I think, when you flick the view, you don't look for other people's opinions and, and views. You look inwards, like, wait a minute, what's going on inside? Like, what, how am I processing what's going on here? And just because we I'm speaking about myself and I'm assuming it might be maybe similar for you because we didn't have those parents speaking about mental health. We didn't have those people around us talking about this is you processing your emotions. Look at this, look at that, try this. Let's explore. Why do you feel that way? Not all of the emotions were acceptable. Only the positive ones were acceptable. So, so you get to that place as well. So <laughs> toxic positivity was kind of encouraged, right? Absolutely. Yes. Like we, all you know, we that. don't talk about that. We just try to stay positive. We don't bring mm. that up. Don't talk about that. You know, like always. Yes. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the things that I do, I'm a perpetual people pleaser. Um, I will apologize for literally anything. I, I, <laughs> and I don't know why, but I'm always like, I'm sorry. Mm. It's like, stop saying, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, sorry. And it's this perpetual people pleaser attitude. And when I started looking into why I do that, I found out that it is an abandonment issue. And I was like, nobody ever abandoned me. And then I realized that it's an emotional abandonment issue, yeah. which leads down to what you just said. Like, we don't talk about that emotion. We don't show that emotion. We don't discuss this. It's just, you know, children are seen and not heard. What are you crying for? Rub some dirt in it, walk it off, like all of that. And it was so, it's like, even me saying that now, I'm like, oh my God, like, it's not oh that big of a God. deal why are you crying but gaslighting as well like I love that word my partner keeps telling like you love that word you love shoving gaslighting everywhere but I'm like it's so popular it's everywhere we need I, to be aware of this I literally just had this conversation like not even yesterday about <laughs> uh you're obsessed with that word it's that you're obsessed with that new word and I was like it's not new <laughs> like yeah. it's just it's just new to you but it's not a new word and it's not a new concept at all. We just are now identifying that behavior and we're now giving it that name. And so I think a mm. lot of people are like, I wasn't doing that. And I'm like, okay, but you were, and it's yeah. okay. You need to understand that you were so that you don't anymore. Yeah. It's, it's that, <laughs> as you say, like it's, it was like the gaslighting, the term comes from like a movie in sixties or what was it? Like, it's quite old. Yeah. It's, just... it's a, it's a movie called gaslight. Yeah. Okay. So I just looked it up because I was very curious because that also came up like, well, how long has it been around? The movie came out in 1944, you guys. So even longer. So it's not even sixties. Forgot that. And it says it's based on Gaslight, which was a play in 1938. So it even goes back farther. Um, and it says after the death of her famous opera singing aunt, Paula is sent to study in Italy to become a great opera singer as well. And while there, she falls in love with the charming Gregory and the two return to London. And Paula begins to notice strange going ons, uh, missing pictures, strange footsteps in the night and gaslights that dim without being touched. As she fights to retain her sanity, her new husband's intentions come into question. Mm. 
And the whole movie is about how this man is just basically doing stuff to her and saying like, oh no, honey, you're making that up. And 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 basically she just goes like, really, did I do that? Like, did I leave the gas on and all this? And And that's exactly it. That's what gaslighting means. It means that someone says like, oh, I feel hurt by what you said, or, oh, I feel really horrible in this situation. And you're like, let's, let's go back to the kids like that we spoke about. You say like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm desperate. I'm crying. And your parents come and say like, it's not a big deal. Like brush it off. Like calm down. You shouldn't be crying about this. This you're you're a big girl. You're a big boy. Whatever. Like y- your parents are just kind of brushing off how you actually feel in that moment, and that's the emotional neglect. Bingo. Yeah, and I even catch myself doing that sometimes because that's how I was raised. And yeah. you know, if I had ever asked my mom like, "Why are you doing this?" or my dad, "Why would you do that?" or "How come that happened?" I always would get the answer, "Well, that's how I was raised." you know, and now I'm seeing that as well. And here's the difference. Like I'm seeing it. And instead of continuing it, I'm going, Oh crap, I'm doing that. I'm ending it with me. And I talked to my daughter about this. We understand she knows what gaslighting is. She understands uh, all of those terms. She's very woke in the space. I mean, I'm her mom. She hears all this Mm -hmm. stuff all the time. And so she's very aware of mental health and how it affects the people around her. And she's just, she's really, really great. I'm so proud of, of my daughter. She's incredible, but she's very smart and she's seeing this too. And I'm really hoping because I didn't even know that this was a thing until, you know, my, my late thirties, early forties. So I'm, I'm hoping that she sees this now and she's able to identify those behaviors going forward, maybe avoiding toxic relationships, toxic situations, um, toxic work environments, things like that, where she's like, these people are doing this to me already. Like this is a red flag. And so I think it's really important for us to even talk to our children about these sort of things, maybe not as deep, you know, like age appropriate discussions, but we also have to teach them what these red flags are as they're growing up because they're inherently learned as children. And that's why we ignore them as adults because they're comfortable and we've been through it. We've been there and it's not that big of a deal. Just rub some dirt on it. Exactly. And this is where I thought like about gaslighting in the in the MLM context. I feel like that's the, ah, I don't even know how to describe. Like you get gaslighting from every single angle there because one thing is like, yes, this is what I said, like winners don't quit and quitters don't win. And like you've basically gaslighted just, think that you're not doing good enough job even if you've like in my case run around a completely strange neighborhood for 13 hours that day with like car or like your bike broke or like whatever happens like all of that is just obstacles that we're resolving like and and don't don't think about it just move on like go to the next place I once had an eye infection and my manager who was like same kid as I was like basically just a year older and like (laughs) she joined earlier she's like no you have to like come follow me like because that was this whole following thing if you are not doing too well on on your own turf you had to go and follow the managers and and look at them working and they would be setting an example of of commitment and all that so so I had to follow her with like conjectivitis in my eyes like my eyes like scratching and <laughs> like and I said like I think at one point I was like no I'm just staying home tomorrow like I can't I can't do this like my critical thinking was was there still but but the ideal version would have been like no matter what against all odds you go and like do your 13 hours a day otherwise you're not going to get the gold seal gold award at the end of this whole summer because you didn't work 80 hours plus per week or 81 hour wow. I can't remember what was the award properly that's wow and then another really good example from from my MLM experience, I had this moment where like I was obviously really emotional when when I was there. Like I'm a 19 year old in the US, first time away 
um, from my country for that long period of time across the ocean and everything. Obviously, can't just get home to my my family, and um, and I was having a bad day because well, when I joined, I never knew what door to door sales is. And then I thought like, okay, maybe it's just an American thing. Like it's something that I, <laughs> I just don't know about. They do it all the time. And and most of the things for me, like, oh, it's just American way, <laughs> which actually is not obviously, but, um, but yeah, so I'm doing these door-to-door sales. Like I'm having a crappy day and uh, I'm getting towards the evening. I haven't made a sale. I'm coming towards this zero day as they call it, because you haven't sold anything. And there's this really nice family and, and, the pitch is you need to get the mom out together with the kids because the moms are the ones who make the key decision, but you need to make sure that the dads are near as well. And they're not like the deal breaker. So you speak to the mom, but you kind of try to get like, make sure the dad's somewhere in there and he's not going to cancel the check or something like that. The dad comes out with a few kids and mom's making dinner somewhere in the back of the house. I'm sitting on the porch with the family and I'm showing the books and the kids are like, oh yeah, really great books, dad. This would be really helpful because the books were good. They were just extortionately expensive. And the dad's like, yeah, no, it looks like a good, good thing. And, and mom's from the kitchen. I'm like, no, no, we don't need anything. And, and the kids like go in and they're like, mom, this is really good. Like come out. And the kid comes out first with like a water bottle and like gives it to me. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like, no, it's just, um, yeah, maybe mom can come out and have a look at the books because you know, like you need to get the mom out. You need to get the mom out. Like in your head, it's like spinning. And then the kids go like, no, yeah, but I really love the books. I'll get the mom out. And, and then the kid comes out with, I think like two apples or something like that and gives them to me. And at that moment, like I burst into tears. I was like, I'm not poor. I'm not homeless. Like I, I am okay. I just really want like someone to have a look at those books. Like, because I see you really like them and the mom like obviously sees this desperate like foreign kid like having an emotional breakdown on their porch comes out like starts to calm me down then takes that book out of my hand starts flipping through it and she's like oh my god it's such a nice book like yeah actually I can really see how it's gonna help like well long story short it ends up in a sale and the only thing that played in my head at that point in time was this is a character building moment and this just proves that anyone can sell these books because those books are that good Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Spring is in the air, and with that comes spring cleaning, especially those closets. I am beyond guilty of keeping pieces around that I no longer wear, I'm hoping to fit into again, or I just can't seem to get rid of for whatever reason my brain uses to justify the hanger space. But this year, I'm implementing the one-year rule and spring cleaning my wardrobe with the help of Quince. As a sponsor of Life After MLM, shopping with Quince is a great way to support the show and get some cute new items to treat yourself once the purge is over too. Once you put your seasonal and holiday items in the back of the closet, it's time to purge what's left and see what can be donated and what needs to be retired for good. It's only then that you can organize your keepers and see where you can amp up your style for the coming year. And that's where Quince comes in. By partnering directly with top factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing, Quince cuts the cost out of the middleman and passes the savings onto us at 50 to 80% less than similar brands which means you can stretch your dollar and save on great staple pieces that will last through at least a few spring cleanings. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com MLM 
for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. At no point in time, I'm thinking this is actually really damaging process that I'm doing. This is impacting my own mental health. None of that comes in. The only thing that I can think of is, yes, this is character building. This was not that big of a deal. This was me being weak, but now I'm learning to be stronger through this. And oh, we had, yeah, the story that even like if a monkey would be um, pulling a little cart around the neighborhood and showing the books to 30 families per day, two of those families would buy. So basically a monkey can do the job that we do in a way. Wow. So, so I was like, here's that example. Like, see, the mom just needed to see the book. So wow. yeah, there's, there's quite a few layers of gaslighting in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say, you know, the term does get thrown around a lot. I see people saying that's gaslighting when it's not and things like that. So um, I think it's important. Let's sort of try to define gaslighting, your personal yeah. definition and my personal definition. And then I'll actually get the uh, the dictionary's definition as well. But you go ahead and go first. So for uh, for me, gaslighting is when you are stating your truth or you are stating something that is happening and are trying to explain it, and someone comes from a different angle. And, and I, I kind of differentiate it two ways. One can be like the gaslighting is in the movie, someone saying this happened, and the other person is saying, no, no, that's not what happened. You're imagining it. This, this wasn't true. Or the other option of the gaslighting for me is the emotional one where you say, for example, this really hurt me. I, I was really upset about what you said to me. And that person is saying like, no, I didn't mean that. Like, so you're making all that stuff up. Like it wasn't what I meant. So you're, you're wrong. But actually, you should be acknowledging that the other person's feelings were hurt. Your intention might have not been there, but the impact was there. And I think that those are the two different angles that I would look at as gaslighting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, (laughs) I deal with this so much because I deal with people that are in MLMs in the comments and they always gaslight me when I bring facts. Um, but yes, like basically saying like what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing is not actual, the reality. And like, Mm. that's so crazy that you would even think that like, that's not what's happening at all you know, maybe somebody says horrible things to you and you're like, why are you speaking to me like this? Like, I, I, what is going on? Like, I don't deserve this. And it's like, you know, and they like double down. It's just very manipulative where Mm -hmm. the other person is just out to like, at any cost, like make you feel like you're wrong and crazy, even though, you know, inherently that you're not. That was definitely one thing that I experienced, like leaving LuLaRoe and being like, I know that I worked hard. I know that I made money. Like you're telling everyone that I was like a loser hater that couldn't do it, but that's not true. Like you're gaslighting everybody about me to fit your narrative. You're creating a narrative that's just not true. And um, it's, it's really toxic. It's really hard. It's not just an MLM. We see it in toxic relationships. We see it in familial relationships. We see it in friendships. Um, The definition in the dictionary is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Yeah. And again, it's like when you say, you just said that, like, why are you talking about that? Or why are you saying that? And they go, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. Mm -hmm. That's not what I meant. Mm -hmm. You're Mm -hmm. taking it the wrong way. (sighs) You're just really emotional, apparently, or you just can't handle (laughs) this. This is not what's happening. And then it goes even deeper and it gets to the point where now you're, you're just you're being basically bullied and attacked. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times manipulation and bullying comes in 
after the gaslighting has happened to go with the gaslighting and to, to support yeah, the gaslighting. Do you know what it is? Like I was trying to think about it the other day and actually what kind of dawned on me is the communication and the, the whole relationship with an MLM is quite similar than a, an, a relationship with narcissist. So what happens in a narcissistic relationship? So basically you firstly meet someone who's super charming, who's really exciting, like is there for you, like lays the world in front of you, like gives you all these compliments, treats you nicely. So you think like you've you've literally won the lottery, right? So you get this whole setting, the scene situation happening. And that is basically just to kind of lure you in. And I've had friends in, in relationships with a proper narcissist and it, it looks horrible from the outside and you can't even get them out from that relationship because what happens next is you enter this wonderful, beautiful relationship where this person is there to support you no matter what. And then once you're in, then they start actually gaslighting you. You've done something wrong. You haven't performed. Like you had all this happening for you. Why you're screwing this up? Like, why are you making these decisions? No, this is you. Like, this is completely you. You're being stupid. You're being this. You're not being, you're not working hard enough in MLMs. You're not, you're not focusing on the right things. Like in, in this one that I was working, you're not control the controllables was our thing. So our controllables was jump out of the bed at 5.59 in the morning, yell is going to be a great day, jump in a cold shower, then jump out of the cold shower, get dressed really quickly, go to the nearest breakfast place really, really quickly with your team, with a couple of people that are in your team that work in the similar area as you do. Then you eat the breakfast, reading this uh, motivational book. Ours was the greatest salesman in the world that we needed to read. And then you go out, sing these like really hyperactive songs where you kind of like encourage yourself. We're going like, it's fucking cult, isn't it? Like oh you go God, away, yes. like <laughs> you go away, like, okay, first knock on the doors needs to happen by 7.59. And that's how you go. And you go through the day and you have this one moment where you stop, where you have your lunch and then you go, 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 go. You have your snacks around like late afternoon before the evening rush. And then you work till 9.30, 9.31, sorry, in the evening. So even if it's like 9.30 and you're like, yeah, I'm done with this. No, you will just stroll around for one more minute, even just knock really quietly on someone's door. So you would be working till 9.31 and then you're going to go home. So if you haven't like going through all this process throughout the day so you are not controlling the controllables so you are not doing a good enough job so there we go so like there's so many ways how you can fail in this relationship because you have all this preset of what you need to do and how you need to do it and if you don't do it then you're you're basically failing and then you get all the negative stuff coming towards you and then when you decide to leave this really toxic relationship where you start to realize wait a minute like this there's so many things that don't add up and even if I'm doing a good job this is still not healthy if I'm getting all the benefits then once you leave what the narcissist will do they'll turn your society against you they'll try to turn your friends against you they'll try to turn your family against you they'll go into all of this bad mouthing you as the last resort because you've already left so you've gone away they'll try to ruin your life that's the last step that they will try to do and tell me like it doesn't remind like you any MLM relationship. It also unfortunately reminds me of some actual friendships and relationships uh, yeah. that I've had too. Yeah, that control is is strong. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you know, like we've talked about this, you know, Amanda Montel and I talked about this in, in these types of high demand relationships and groups. And yeah, like sometimes like, especially in a relationship with a narcissist, it's basically like a one-on-one -on -one cult. Because you have those <laughs> high demand uh, mm. expectations. Yeah. And this, this kind of, when I'm starting to see the parallels, I'm like, how oh, I did not see all that when I was in it. 
because and that, this is where I'm going all the time like when I'm speaking about MLMs they are recruiting vulnerable people and in my case students are vulnerable people because they don't have life skills they don't have financial management skills um, I'm working in a bank and actually young people with their first accounts are considered vulnerable people because they don't have financial skills. They haven't set that up for themselves yet. So we need to make sure we give them enough tools and information so that they could set up their financial life and their financial processes going in the right way. They are the most prone to fall for different scams. They're the most prone to be like money mules, all that stuff. So we know that like we want to make sure that people are informed and don't fall for scams so we focus a lot on the vulnerable ones yeah the students are vulnerable you promise them money that they have never earned before in my case you promise them these fantastic trips opportunities to be in a different place get this fantastic education all of this and like why would you not sign up it's so exciting I was walking on the cloud nine when I was there even when I was going through all of this abusive kind of relationship because I was like thinking oh my god I have that once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm thinking like, I would never recommend any like child to go through that. I do appreciate that some of them have made good money. I do understand that. But also so many haven't. And there's definitely more that have not or have barely made it even than the ones who made the big bucks and get the fancy trips and all that. I mean, 99.7% lose, right? Hmm. Statistically, like that's a fact. Yeah. And what's really interesting about like the MLMs that I keep thinking about, like, <laughs> and it's the same story with anyone who approaches you, like offering you to join their MLM. They, they never give you that business idea. And I'm using air quotes here as an option that you could do. They always come and say, this is the best thing you will be ever able to do. In my case, they were saying like, it's the, it's the hardest, but the best summer job you will ever do. This is going to give you all these life skills, blah, blah, blah. And you think like, yeah, I want to be part of this really exceptional group because this is kind of the way that I'm going to get ahead of life. And what they do, they position it really nicely. They position like all the life skills. They show you CVs of um, achieving people where their first entry is Southwestern company, Southwestern Advantage, sales rep, student manager, student leader, whatnot after. And, and they all like show the sales revenues and like whatnot, like their achievements, the hours they've worked in their description. Then they have like some fancy, interesting like job roles after. So you look at these CVs and you get inspired, like, yes, that's my opportunity to get ahead in life. And I'm kind of reflecting, well, I've been into the sales environment and obviously I wasn't doing doing too bad. So actually, I still stayed in touch after I quit um, with some of the people who were working in the Southwestern. And then there's this kind of internal network almost. If someone will search for you on LinkedIn, I would still get like random messages on LinkedIn. Like, oh, I've worked for Southwestern as well. Like, here's my new project. Would you like to support me? Would you like to give names of all the people, you know, like who could support me in this? And and it's almost like this unwritten rule that if I've been into Southwestern, you've been in Southwestern. So we're cool. Like, you help me with my business. Thinking like, this is the coolest thing ever. And like only Southwestern people give you the real legit advice or legit support. Like we're that internal group still, even after we've kind of graduated from this experience that we we know how to work hard. We know how to graft or whatnot. <laughs> it's, it's a weird, weird world. And and yeah, like I've been working for quite a few Southwestern people afterwards. We call each other Southwestern people. Like I've worked for this really cool travel startup later in life. And that's it's still one of my greatest experiences. And it was nothing like an MLM afterwards, but the founders of that startup were... Southwestern people 
and they were recruiting Southwestern people because they know Southwestern people are hardworking people. Then I was working for Latvian Mail for some time. And there, some of the people I knew were working for Southwestern. They were saying like, oh, I know how good you, you are with like commitment to work and like come, come join us. And that's really interesting. Like you, you kind of feel that this, this opportunity of being in Southwestern has given you the rest of the opportunities in your life because of all this network, because of all these people that have approached you after. But actually now I'm thinking like I'm in a different country now. I'm in banking industry that is so far from where I was. And I started quite quite low as a telephony team member. And even from there, I I was able to use my skills, my knowledge to to get up and up and like get into the place where I am now. So actually if you're hardworking, if you have skills, it doesn't matter if you're successful in MLM or you you're gonna be successful equally somewhere else. It's not only that MLM where you're gonna be successful. If you if you have brains and you have courage and and if you have commitment to to do a good job, like you'll be successful anywhere. Absolutely, right? It's just this MLM like complex that is so toxic that just chews you up and spits you out and says it's your fault. When 99.7% of people lose in the industry, yeah. like that's a red flag. If you're a hard worker, if you know you're doing all of the things, checking all of the boxes, and you're still in that 99.7%, know that it's systemic, it's not you, and that your skills could be put to use in an actual job that will pay you actual money. And even like in in my head, like even those who succeed, because I kind of, I don't think I was that successful, but I still feel like I was successful enough not to moan about my experience. And now I'm thinking... And you've probably been in exactly the same position. Like you did so well in Lularo, but that doesn't mean really that just because we were not completely ruined by this experience or we were doing well at some point in time, it doesn't mean that it's not toxic. It doesn't mean that we didn't impact people who were then suffering under us. And and it doesn't mean that if we would be taking the same skills somewhere else, we wouldn't do even better. And I'm not trying to like big ourselves up here, but I'm trying to show that like, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything and you don't, because there's, there are those people, but I'm doing so well. I'm in this MLM, like it's given me all these opportunities. I cannot complain. It's a brilliant company. And I'm trying to think about those who like are really good and are the kind of face of the MLMs. No, you can be successful anywhere else. You don't have to be part of that nasty organization that doesn't have decent morals or values. It's, it's just wild. It's wild. And the more that I talk about people that have left MLM and are thriving outside of MLM, the more that they echo that statement, like, yeah, I had all of these skills and in even learning new skills in MLM, which I think is really cool. And being able to take those out and thrive outside of MLM and start their own businesses or join existing businesses or, or, or work with people. It's, it's incredible. The people that I've met are thriving outside of multi-level marketing. It's almost as if MLM is the problem. And like what MLM will tell you, like it's because of us, because we gave you these skills, because we showed you, you would be nothing without us. And that's the challenge that I'm really struggling with because I, for a really long time, thought that now my education, now my persistence, not my personality, now my skills were the ones who made me. It was the Southwestern and the context that I had because this place open me all these opportunities who would have I been if I wouldn't have gone on to this amazing adventure and experience 
Well, I maybe would have had a half a year in Erasmus somewhere in Gran Canaria, which I turned down because I actually went to US. So I had a chance to live in on a fantastic island um, for six months that I turned down. So I had some opportunities. I could have done heaps of other things. I could have tried to go deeper into tourism industry rather than jumping into this sales environment that I spent way too many years in before I realized actually it's damaging my mental health. I should get out. And I only got out of that sales environment and that sales thinking when I moved here and worked for two other sales jobs after all the previous sales jobs that I've done to then realize this is really unhealthy. And I'm like, my anxiety is just going through the roof. I need to change something. And that's where I took like this temp job in a bank that ended up like actually keeping me in the banking industry. Uh, so at what point in your journey did you end up starting your podcast? Um, that was um, like, I started it, like started launching it early last year. I was thinking about it for about a year before, but I think the big kick for me was the the COVID and the lockdown because I'm a really sociable person. Like I like meeting new people. I like speak to, speaking to other people. I really need that interaction and exchanging ideas and experiences and all that. And and suddenly I was I was at home and and I was kind of drowning a little bit, like in in the noise of my own steps and like the four walls were coming onto me. And and yeah, that, there was just this one point where even my partner, I think he just like threw out the sentence. He's like, "You need to get a hobby. Like you're you're losing it. Like you're." You're just like poor, poor thing. Like you're stuck. You need, need to come up with something that's going to keep you busy. And and then at one point I was like, I have all these ideas that I want to talk about. Like I have all these people that I would like to speak to, but I don't have a reason to approach them. And and yeah, and that that's how I think like the, the initial idea was born. And now it's just growing bigger and bigger. And I can't believe where I am with this. The second two, I like I, I saw you on on Amazon Prime show, and like I just dropped you a message on on Instagram saying like, "Oh, you're awesome!" Like I loved listening to what you speak about. You made me think about my MLM experience, and here we are. You're interviewing me, and I'm interviewing you. And it's yeah, crazy. it's it's a really cool community that we're creating, mm. and and I love that. I I my guests are a combination of people that have emailed me in the past that we finally got around to it, and people that like see something, reach out to me, and go, "Oh my god, I need to talk to you as soon as possible." And I'm like, "Let's do this." Um, it's and I think that keeps the show on its toes too, right? I like to have yeah. such a variety of guests of experts in in even in like different areas, like we're talking about mental health and, and you were in an MLM. So there's that connection, but I've got people on here that were never in MLMs that are just mm. passionate about the message and the education and to be able to talk about that stuff too. And I just, I'm the same. So anybody out there mm. listening, that's like, I really want to start a podcast, but I don't know how just start, just start. There's yeah. all kinds of, you know, free hosting that you can use. I started on anchor uh, and, and you can go from there people, people are interested to hear what you have to say. So, you know, um, what has been your experience and what have you learned in talking about mental health on your podcast? Do you know what? Like I sometimes feel like almost these podcast episodes are in a way like my, my secret therapy, um, because I get to ask questions to people that I'm really curious about and I can, I can make my own list of like what I want to ask and, and get this information and somehow like the, there's always feedback that someone comes and tells me like, Oh, that was such a valuable episode. Like I learned so much. Like, and then you realize that these conversations could have been 
I could have met you in a networking event or I could have met you through friends, right? And we'd we'd sit down, we'd click, we'd connect and we have like because I, I'm not a small talker and I, I like that's that's kind of like a, my thing. Like I'll I'll go deep like quite quickly and and I would have potentially similar conversation with you just if I would bump into you like somewhere in California. Why don't we bring these conversations to a public platform and let other people as well learn from them? Because we're regular people. Like we have these questions. Someone else will have them as well. I just feel like it's been a really, really healthy process for me to create that podcast. And I've learned a lot about myself by interviewing other people. And then, yeah, like there's been topics that I've been a bit uncomfortable about and I don't know what I think about certain things and and I've found people to ask questions to as well it's hard, like for example one of my favorite episodes that is just coming out I saw on BBC News this girl Tarina Shaquille who was one of the ISIS brides she went to join ISIS really quickly realized oh this is probably not the best thing that I've ever done in my life and then in three weeks time she actually made it out and escaped against all odds. So she has this crazy story. She has a documentary on ITV about it. But obviously, once she got out and returned to the UK, she was arrested and had to go through a prison time de-radicalization program. And now she's out on the other end, trying to advocate for not falling for this ISIS recruitment. On my oh end, my I was like, God. I don't. It's It's such a crazy story. And she's, to be honest, like when you speak to her one to one, like she's one of the nicest people I've met and it's really hard to believe like she's made that choice and for me I was trying to click in my head am I now just writing off that person because she's made one bad mistake or am I trying to understand where was she in her life to make that decision and what she's been through after she's made that decision trying to reclaim herself and it's taking her so much time and effort and so much grief to try and prove that I I actually am safe like I'm trying to do my best here and I'm trying to change my life and she's really strong-willed and really passionate and she's quite keen of of showing that you know what I'm not going to be broken by this I really want to do good and and she is advocating for for other girls not to make that decision not to be groomed like when you are going through a hard time in life speak to someone so yeah, don't keep it to yourself. Don't just rely on someone being really friendly on internet. So yeah, that's that's a whole other level. But she's one of the people who's completely changed the way how I view really big mistakes and trying to reclaim your space after you've made it. And there's obviously different situations for different girls and different stories and, and different life choices and how they've come back or whether they are genuine or not. And then it's, it's up to, to anyone to decide when you speak to that person, whether you believe them or not. Uh, I can't wait to listen to that. That sounds incredible. What a journey. That poor woman and everything she's been through. And wow, wow. Definitely put that in the show notes so that people can (laughs) listen to that. Wow, that is incredible. I I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I've I've talked to Dr. Stephen Hassan about the cult of ISIS before, and it's definitely not one that I've gone into yet. It seems very heavy. But I'm definitely going to listen to your episode on that because, wow, what an incredible story. And I think it was a big one for me because I I was brainstorming with myself. Should I reach out? Should I not reach out? Should I talk to her? Should I not talk to her? What are the consequences? I was like, what can be the consequences? Um, there's there's massive news channels interviewing her, like me with my tiny little podcast, <laughs> you know, 
but yeah, like it was, it was, it was really scary. Like even thinking about touching that topic because it's such a sensitive topic. How do you approach it? How do you ask questions? How do you ask the things that you want to understand? And and for me, it was just really un- important to understand her story, how she feels, and make sure that I'm giving her a chance to speak. And then whatever comes out of it comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Survivors and victims, it's it's a it's a tough tightrope walk. Mm. It really is because we don't want to exploit people. We don't want people to feel like they were just, you know, a churn and burn on a podcast. Like, oh, she only talked yeah. to me because she just cared about the ratings or the views or whatever, which no, I think yeah, most people that, that are doing this sort of work feel like that that's not really even in the scope of their mind when deciding who to talk to. You know what I mean? Um, for me, when I choose people, it's about education. Like, Oh, I want to talk to that person. Yeah. I've never talked about that before. And I want to open the door to talk about it more. You know, mm-hmm. like one of the topics that we're talking about this year, a lot um, is toxic diet culture and fat phobia and anti-fat yeah. bias and the way that language is. And, and that's something that I'm that I'm also unlearning because as somebody who is a victim of all of these things, I also was a perpetrator because of the way that I was raised and the, the, the thoughts that were put on me. And I had my own anti-fat bias about my own body and like hating yeah. myself and my body and because of things that people said or, or comments that people made. And most times those comments were made by the people that loved me the most. The most horrible things that have ever been said to me are by people who loved me. And I don't really ever think, I mean, not ever, but most times it probably wasn't to hurt me intentionally. It again was their own mental health and their own toxic way of talking about these things because they had not yet unpacked all of those to understand what that meant either. It's been difficult. It's been a difficult conversation for me because I'm still unlearning it but I want to unlearn it and I want to understand why and how. And so being able to have those conversations and, and I know that you talk about that as well. You've had posts recently on your Instagram about fat bias and, and understanding that those are like mental health roadblocks. Like we just have to get past it and understand what it is and why it is so that we can move past all of those biases that we have that are just ingrained in us by the people that raised us. Exactly. And that's the big challenge, like that episode that you're referring to, that one was with Amanda Lee. And she is someone who has always lived in a larger body. Um, she was having really bad problems with her, her stomach. And there was one point in her life where she kind of was feeling like she can only eat like something like really light, I think like applesauce or whatnot. Like she was just, like she was literally eating like something really tiny and whenever she was eating she was like having massive stomach pain so she couldn't eat she was losing weight she went to the doctor and and they were like trying to like write all of her complaints off saying that oh it's like hemorrhoids or it's UTC or something like that like not even properly paying attention and when she was complaining about the fact she's losing weight the the doctor just looked at her and said like oh maybe it's not such a bad thing and she literally like burst into tears went to her car like filmed herself like crying released it as a tiktok video went viral doctors from uk picked that up like got onto her side like you need to go back like you need to check yourself like this is not normal like you shouldn't be she was ended she ended up being diagnosed with stage three colon cancer so um so that that this is like the stupid comments and stupid perception that aesthetics equals health is where people die 
Yeah. People die because of your stupid comments. And I'm, I'm bringing it really dark. I'm bringing it extremes. But, but this is where your comments of, hi, oh, you're really chubby. Like, maybe need to go on this diet. Like, we should put a lock on the fridge. Like, maybe that will help. Or, do you know, like, all these stupid little, like, jokes that, like, we believe we're trying to do a good job by telling someone to lose weight because society is programmed to aesthetically pleasing people <laughs> rather than, like, anybody out there. So we're tall, we're short, we have large feet, we have tiny feet, we're we're so many different shapes and sizes and colors. Like, why do you think like this one shape and one size or the BMI scale is the only way to go? And they even created BMI scale to kind of try and say like, oh, weight is not really something that we can fully control. It, it can be almost like um, a health issue that you're overweight or obese. But then once you create a health issue or you create a problem, people will try to create solutions. And this is where it becomes really problematic. Again, like you're starting to blame the people that they're not using the solutions well enough. And that's where the wellness industry thrives. So yeah, again, another topic we could go like very deep into. Yeah, because you also have the wellness industry that is just overtaking multi-level marketing. You're finding out that all of these MLMs are adding wellness programs. Uh, Monet added a wellness program. Um, pure romance added a wellness program. It's like, it's so obvious to me that these MLMs are going to just target wellness programs and target all of this anti-fat bias and the way that people are just to make them feel bad about themselves so that they join these programs and get stuck in these pyramid schemes and like lose all of their money. And then guess what? It was your fault. All of this was your of fault. And then we have like, who is it? Cristiano Ronaldo running around in Herbalife t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And all of those, you know, children are like, we love him. It's got to be the herbal life. And, and not that, you know, eight-year-old children that are fans of Cristiano Ronaldo are buying herbal life, but they're seeing herbal life on his shirt. And then later on, maybe when they're an adult, when it's presented to them, like, oh, have you ever tried herbal life? You're like, where have I heard that? <gasps> Cristiano Ronaldo used to wear that on his shirt. Oh, I would love to try. It's that, yeah. right? It's they're they're placing like little breadcrumbs everywhere. They're normalizing mm. this everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's every day. They're everyday cults. They're everywhere. And like, no and this, one talks about it, but us. Like, <laughs> and you know, what's scary. Like when I've, because like you obviously inspired me to talk about MLMs, let's be honest, like watch that documentary, like went into the deep end, need to talk to everyone about this now. <laughs> and then everyone that I've mentioned, I, we're speaking with one of like one of my managers at work and she was like, Oh my God, I have this story about how like I signed up for um for what is it, Monat is the company that I keep like forgetting the name. So she's like signed up to this like shampoo program or what not like pays some sort of money, like every month can't get out of it because she's not quite sure how to. And she was like, Oh, thank you for reminding me. I need to get out of it. But like it's still been like and British people are so like polite, bless them. They will like patiently put power through things that they've accidentally signed up and like will not cancel and and then she has these friends like who are really successful in MLMs and there's these friends who are not and then these friends who have asked like oh can I bring this Arbonne party to your flat and like she had so many stories about MLMs once I mentioned this is the topic of my interview and then mentioned it to my partner 
just today and he was like oh yeah I remember this time when I was like a teenage like late teenage years like in in a basketball team and they were having this crazy meeting where they were inviting like the top basketball players in the Latvia to go like and and sign up for this really cool company that's selling shakes and he can't remember like what the name was but he was saying like it's exactly what you're talking about so everyone even my partner who's like the man's man like and- <laughs> thought like he would have any links to MLMs like he's like yeah I ended up in this meeting when I was trying like they tried to recruit me he was like I never signed up but like I've been there we've all been there how mad is that everyone has an MLM story we've all been there and that's what's so funny like when I meet new people who don't know what I do on the internet (laughs) they're like what do you do and I'm like um I expose scams and pyramid schemes on the internet and sometimes they're like, oh, cool. And sometimes they're like, like, like Mary Kay. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, oh my God, I have a story. And then it goes, because I don't know, right. I don't want to be that person. That's like, I take down MLMs. And then someone's like, um, excuse me, that's my business. So like, I'm very, very like, uh, aware of when I meet strangers that like what I do can be jarring if you don't understand where I'm coming from. And so I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, uh, I talk about colds and scams and pyramid schemes on the internet. And, and I want to say nine times out of 10, somebody is like, like MLMs. I'm like, absolutely. Yes. That's my main focus. (laughs) Yeah. And you're so right. Like I got like in, in a similar conversation where someone was saying like, exactly. That's why I think I was so like vocal before telling that even if you're doing well in an MLM, like it doesn't mean that MLM is good. It's just, you're doing good. Like you're the, the minority in that process. But, but yeah, like someone was like, but the people are doing well and these essential oils are really good. So we're talking young living and, and yeah, they're, they're, they're one of the best, but like, okay, but these other oils, I don't know where they've grown. Like they have their own farms and they're organic and there's this and that is good. And then that person is not even making money from this, but she sees this as this really good, like really precious product that is really worth paying for. And I don't blame them for it because it is a good product. But also there's other products out there that are equally good, but with a bit of research, like you could actually get them. But people I genuinely trust that they're doing a good job by sticking to these products. They're helping their children, they're helping their household, all of that. And then I'm just that mean person coming and telling that MLMs suck, right? But products are not bad. Those books were not bad, but they cost $400. And also there were a lot of college kids who couldn't sell them. It is sad. It is sad. Uh, there's a lot of MLMs that target children. I mean, we're going to be doing a show on that, the, the MLMs that target children. Mm. But I mean, I'm talking about like you're saying, like these students, right? Imagine getting out of high school, maybe not being that person that knows where you're going, right? Not really. Because there were some kids in high school that like had their whole life planned out. And I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow, like let alone what I'm doing for the next five, 10 years. I was not one of those people. <laughs> I was just like, I'll just figure it out as I go along. Uh, surprise, surprise. It was just wild for me. Like there's a lot of us that that get out of high school and become quote unquote adults and don't know what to do next. I don't think schools here in the United States really truly prepare us for the real world. Um, I think a lot of our parents don't really get to do that either because they're so busy having to work all of these jobs because everything is so unbelievably expensive. And they're hoping that the school will sort of pick up the slack, but the school's not really doing that. I mean, that's a whole nother topic about yeah. all of that on another day, but there's people that are leaving school, not understanding because college isn't for everybody. And they're like, yeah, no college isn't for me. And they're joining MLMs because they're thinking that, well, 
this is, this has got to be the thing, right? This person makes all this money. They're driving this car. They're showing me this thing. I'm talking to their mentor who's got all this stuff too. And they're saying it's so easily replicable. And like, why can't I do this? Like college wasn't for me. I've already decided that I just want to do this and live this lifestyle. And they're living the lifestyle that I want to live that I'm seeing on Instagram and social media and all these places of all the things that I want. And like MLMs know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to market to people that are vulnerable, to people that don't know better, to people that don't have a lot of options, whether Mm. those options are not around for them because of socioeconomic reasons or where they're living or just anything. They know what they're doing. There's an MLM for every vulnerable person out there. Yep. And the crazy part is like when you're speaking about the vulnerable people, in my case, like what's, what's really interesting, like I think it was because of the visas. I don't think that all of the kids, I call them kids um, who are selling books in the States. Like I'm speaking 18, 19, 20 year olds, still children at that age. Let's be honest for, for us from the Europe, like we had to be college students. So you've already chosen to be in the university. You're going on an air quotes internship, summer internship, which is so far oh, for inter- wow. from internship. So you're recruited through your university. So then you obviously like my visa interview was I was telling like I have this internship, really great opportunity, blah, 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 blah. There was the consulate of the United States that kind of organized this whole stuff for me. That So obviously, I think that organization, the Southwestern Advantage, has a lot of political connections in all the right places. But then, yeah, you go and do these door-to-door sales. And what kind of made me sad at one point was when I realized that there were students with all of these really great potentials in their lives, like the, one, the ones who were successful. And instead of like going into engineering or going into, I don't know what else you were studying, just because you're so successful in this MLM, you end up becoming some sort of sales consultant and, and whatnot. Like you, they, they're, they're, they've built so many kind of like this, this Southwestern Advantage is a parent company. And then there's these sub companies that are now Southwestern Consulting and, and God knows what else is there, but they have these well, different other things where they lure the most successful students in and they never end up doing what they actually started studying for. So that, that I kind so of like, sad. it breaks my heart a little bit because like you could have been so successful in it. You could have been such a successful person. Like you are successful now as well. You have this money, you have your community, you have all this shebang and like you're still having like really cool Instagram account but actually who knows how you would have been if you had gone your true not not maybe true but like your original path and how that would have turned out that's interesting um you also mentioned visas so yeah how difficult was it to get a visa within this company to go abroad and sell books door-to-door in the United States I think most people got it like my age because you're a college student. So you have the commitment. You you are in a university or a college and you need to be back by September. So we only had three month student visas for an internship. So you go to US, you do your three months, you come back. Realistically, there's other internships. You could have worked in, a, I don't know, a water park or amusement park, something like that, and do a similar internship and actually have more fun. Um, but that's after exploring like other options, not before. But then, yeah, you get like them fairly easily. Like you just explain your story, like in that visa interview process and, and they give you the visas. What, what is interesting is when you go back for the fourth, fifth or whatnot time as a manager, 
but they somehow like always ended up getting their visas. So I'm, I'm obviously in no place to speak about how it exactly worked, but I know some people who were declined visas like the fourth, fifth time around because they weren't students anymore. And then I know that there was a call from somewhere, somewhere, and then suddenly the visa interview process was reviewed and actually they were given a visa eventually. So it's an interesting one. Like, how do they work that out? Where did that call come from? Who was telling like, oh, can you get these kids in because we need them? Who changed their mind on the visa process? So that was really interesting for me. Yeah. And that's where those like government ties come in and like, who's actually supporting this and who's paying who to yeah. get these sort of favors. How mm. much were those favors? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like... They're in this direct sales association or what's it called? Like in, in the US, like it's, it seems like a, to be a big deal in, in Nashville or like Tennessee or maybe even wider. I'm not like very good with <laughs> how big things are in the States. Everything seems to be big in the States, to be fair. Um, it is. Everything yeah. is <laughs> like in the weirdest ways. I'm, I apologize <laughs> for that on behalf of the whole entire world. Uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> Houses are bigger. Your cars are bigger. Your bugs are even bigger. Like everything's bigger. Our honestly. portions are bigger. Everything's bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Our problems are a lot bigger too. <laughs> like one comes with the other. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's uh, it's wild. It's wild. And it's interesting, you know, because we, we have talked about the DSA on this podcast multiple times and um, you know, the government has a lot of fingers and a lot of different pies. And yeah. the more that we hear these stories, especially this with like a phone call happening and then a bunch of non-students getting student visas, it, it makes you wonder like who's behind this who's making these phone calls who's yeah. you know where's the money going it's yeah. very it's very interesting oh i i personally know like a case or two but there's there's surely there's more couldn't have been the only one oh absolutely right i think that's the other thing that we learned like i can't be the only one like i can't this can't keep only happening to me like there has to be other people that's that's what we find right when we speak out and we we share these stories mm. I get all kinds of emails and messages from people saying, oh my God, that last episode with so-and-so that happened to me too. That's crazy. I want to talk to you about this. And like, that's basically how this happens. Like this podcast, I I'm treating it this year, very much like a living resource and trying to mm. have themes to talk about and have people come back on those themes. Um, just so we can really focus on education and people can start making those connections because yeah. like I made the connections and went, what? And once you make them, you can't like unmake them. Like they're there. Yeah. And so for people that are new to this movement and new to this podcast that are learning these things, even having conversations about mental health and gaslighting and things that are happening. And then you sharing your story about what you personally experienced, like it's, it's very interesting. And, mm. you know, as someone with ADHD, I'm the kind of person that needs to see all the pieces of the puzzle before the puzzle actually looks like a photo to me or a picture. Yeah. Um, and MLM, I, I don't have the whole photo yet. I don't have the whole picture. There's still a lot of pieces that are missing, which is why these episodes and talking to people like you and learning these things is, is so important for us to go, mm. oh, there's another piece to this puzzle. It's starting to look like a picture now. That is so important. And from the mental health context, I think one of the biggest reflections of mine as well, I was thinking, yes, this this experience of mine in, in an MLM like or this Southwestern Advantage was such a beneficial one, all the life skills that I've learned, everything and so on. I thought 
that I'm taking away really, really good habits. What I'm now reflecting on my life, like 12, 15 years after this process, what I've actually done is I've ridden this massive wave of the toxic positivity. And what I've done in that process is I've said yes to things that I shouldn't have said yes. I've stayed in companies and businesses and jobs that were torturing me literally because I wasn't a good fit for those jobs. Just thinking that this is my, you know, as as I said, this is the, this is where I learned. This is where I grow up to the point where I was like near mental breakdown because I wasn't succeeding in a job that actually was set up in a way that I actually couldn't succeed in it properly. There's, there's so many of these situations in my life where I've lingered for too long or said yes, where I shouldn't have, because I didn't have enough critical thinking because I kept believing that only if I push a little bit harder, I'll make it only if I control the controllables. And that has like damaged my mental health until I consciously started making other decisions and started really pausing and thinking like, is this good for me? Is this right? Yeah, absolutely. I just looked up Southwestern Advantage because I was curious to see like what they say on their website. Uh, Let me, let me tell you what I found real quick. Go for it. So I'm going to unmute myself. I'm sorry that you can hear my mouse clicking and all of that while I do this. (laughs) I apologize, everyone. Um, It says for 150 years, Southwestern Advantage is the oldest entrepreneurial program for students in the world. And for over 150 years, our sales and leadership program has helped students offset their educational expenses, build character, and gain valuable life skills not taught in the classroom, which sounds great. But when you scroll Mm -hmm. all the way down to the bottom, you find that they are not only uh, a member of the BBB, an accredited member of the BBB, which you know, we all know allegedly is kind of a big scam too, but they're also a member of the DSA. It's right there. Like it's on their website. They've got the logo and everything. They're Um, proud of it. Yeah. Well, usually members (laughs) of the DSA are are generally pretty proud of themselves. (laughs) It's pretty interesting, but yes, uh, this is very obviously an MLM. They're pretty huge, which is the scary part. It is pretty wild because multi-level marketing and the DSA. I mean, the DSA has been around forever since like the, you know, 1910s or something like that is when it started. So they've been around forever. And in the beginning, they protected the interests of actual salesmen, people who were going door to door, selling Mm. books, selling encyclopedias, selling vacuums, selling makeup, the original Mary Kay, the original Avon, things like that, that Mm. door to door model, which is why so many of these MLMs, people are like, but, and I'm like, okay, but in 1979, when, when uh, the FTC lost their case against Amway and multi-level marketing became legal in the eyes of the U.S. government and basically the world, what happened Mm. was a lot of these companies switched to the MLM model. It was very easy for them to take their direct selling business and just turn it into an MLM and continue to call it direct sales. But there's now this emphasis of building a team and the emphasis of recruiting, which is what makes it a pyramid scheme. And like, I don't know if I had like a legitimate business and then the government like created a giant loophole and they're like, look, your business can still be legitimate in the eyes of us. But basically now it's a funnel so that all the money just ends up in your pocket. It's a very tempting thing. It's a money is very tempting for people. And, um, it's a, it's a very interesting thing that that's what happened. So basically since 1979, Mm. and I don't know when they joined the DSA, but 
You know, they could have been a member of the DSA previously before as a direct selling company. Right now, the DSA is um, is aligned with multi-level marketing, which we know from the education that we do on this podcast and across the anti-MLM community that they're just basically legal pyramid schemes that are protected by the government. And I'm trying to think like even just from Latvia, which is a tiny country in eastern northern Europe. We had about 100 something students flying out every year. So then you have the same amount, if not more, about 200 from Estonia. Then you have your French, Polish, UK, whatnot kids like just coming out from Europe. And then you have thousands of thousands of American kids doing the same thing. So I have no idea about their actual numbers. I haven't done like the research, but they're their sales school photos if you like google like southwestern sales school like they're massive auditoriums in in the downtown of nashville filled with kids learning how to be the salespeople. and the whole training and recruiting is a whole other thing because their training process is five days you're in this super intense environment where the first three days they break your spirit they basically crash you like they show you you're you're worth nothing like you're really not doing a good job you're horrible and there's learning and there's you're horrible there's more learning that you're horrible there's more learning and then in the last two days they're kind of you're getting better now they're lifting you up from the ashes like a phoenix and then you get this exercise where they take the string where you all sit in a circle and you like throw the string one from another and then you all have to hold it like a net like lean back and that's where you get taught that you all are as strong as the weakest link in this team because if one of these like hands would let it go, like everything would fall apart. And then they take that string and cut it in little pieces and like tie it around your arm. And then you kind of walk around knowing you're part of the team for the rest of the summer. Oh, and you have like this uh, line drawn in the sand that you need to like commit and step over before you start the summer that you're committing to do this and you're committing to be the part of the team and you're committing to, to fully go and embrace and like I know a guy who like had that thing like the string around his arm like for 10 years in the future because he was so committed and like obviously he had such a big impact from the the sales skills that he got and he used them really really well he's really successful now and he sincerely believed for years and years and years it's just because of this process of this community that he he made it in life but how many people were committing and then realized like oh this is not working out at all. And like, imagine like all of that process, like that you've gone through and then trying to get out. You're literally in a cult, like you've programmed so well. It's kind of like the army training, or I think like that I was reading up about like how they, they trained us that you basically get your spirit completely crushed. And then you get molded into this shape and form that is going to go and perform and do all those crazy things that I listed you before, like how we had to control the controllables. Wow. Yeah. No, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say 100% that is certifiably a cult and certifiably an MLM and certifiably allegedly a scam. So uh, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing about that. I've never (laughs) heard of that MLM and it's been around for 150 years. There you go. Go with them. My last message is just really remember like MLMs are not the only option. Like it's just one of the options. And if you're if you have skills, you can use them anywhere you really want and, and you'll be good at it, not just in that one cult-like organization that they're saying that this is where your dreams come true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you ready to do some rapid fire questions? Yeah, go for it. All right. What is one word that encompasses how you feel about multi-level marketing? 
Oh, that's a good question. So many feelings. <laughs> I think just confused. At this point in time, I'm just utterly confused. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> what is a warning that you would give to somebody who is maybe on the fence and wants to join an MLM? It will take a long time to unlearn what you're going to learn there. So be really, really careful. You might be swayed in all sorts of different directions that sound really tempting and really exciting at first because they will promise this fantastic opportunity. And then, yeah, they might tear you down when you're not succeeding. And all of those will impact your mental health one way or another. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? That's a hard one, because at this point in time, I feel like the concept is just not speaking to me at all. So if you can't sell your products in a normal way, like that's already shady. So all of them, that works. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> all of them. What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in MLM? I think I learned not to trust myself. Like I learned not to trust my instincts. I learned not to trust my pain, my worries, my emotions, and brush it off as character building. So I think that's one of the worst lessons that I've learned that, again, ties into mental health that I really needed to unpick. And I know people who haven't unpicked it yet and who are in depression, who are really in a poor mental state. So yeah, that. And then finally, a positive takeaway from your time in multi-level marketing. I'm strong. Like I can get through so many things and still come out on the other end, like being fairly successful. Well, for my terms, like define success. I feel happy. I feel successful. So I'll, I'll take it. That's amazing. I feel that's, that's mine too. Like, yeah. Like if I could survive that, like I could survive anything. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Thank you so much, Anse, for coming on the show and talking about mental health and your experience in this crazy MLM. But thank you for educating us about it. And I'm really hoping that there are people that that email me if they had been a part of this when they were in their teens to be like, um, <laughs> oh, please do let me uh, know. I was in that. I'm looking forward to hear what you hear. <laughs> Definitely. I will keep you in the loop on that. Uh, before yes, we please. go, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's kind of my favorite go-to place. And it's at conversations with my mind, but you put the dots between the words. So conversations dot with dot my dot mind. Um, and I'm there for, for you to follow. And then I'm on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Ask Alexa, um, all of that shebang. Um, it's conversations with my mind, the learning podcast, or you can just search for my name because my name's quite unique. There's only a few more people like that in the world. So it's easy to find me that way. That's perfect. I will add all of those in the show notes. And once again, thank you so much for talking to us today. This was a very fun chat. Oh, same here. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.